Luca Magic takes on the Splash Brothers, while Heat Culture gets a test from the green team. All that, plus, what happened to Phoenix? This is the Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On NBA, your source. NBA from the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making this your first listen every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host of Locked On Nuggets. He's David Ramil. He's co-host of Locked On Heat, and he's a very busy man as he has recorded a crossover episode with the ever-confident John Corrales of Locked On Celtics, which you can check out over at Locked On Celtics or Locked On Heat. Go to Locked On Heat and check out their <laughs> complete guide today on the show. We're going to go give you a broad overview, give you my thoughts as well as David's on the Heat versus Celtics series. We'll talk about Warriors versus Mavericks and whether or not Luka can pull off yet another upset during his incredible run. And in the third segment, we're going to dive into kind of the consequences for the teams that lost those Game 7s on Sunday. All that and more on today's show. Uh, you can follow David on Twitter at DRamil13. I'm on Twitter at HP Basketball. David, I'm sure you've mm. talked yourself to death about this series already, and it's not even started yet. Um, Kyle Lowry, before we went on this podcast, uh, was announced out for Game 1. No big surprise. Everybody kind of assumed that Lowry would be out for this game. Instead, um, I'm gonna try and like find like a different angle for you. Okay. Okay. What's the worst case for the Miami Heat? So beyond injuries, right? No injuries factored in. If the Boston Celtics do X, what is like the worst case scenario there for Miami? I think the worst case for Miami would be if Jimmy Butler can't reproduce the same level of offensive output that he had versus the Philadelphia 76ers where he was the best player in the series by far and they can't get any kind of second door secondary scoring from anybody else that is like the bigger question I think facing this heat team is who steps up alongside Jimmy because there haven't been many doubts about Jimmy but they were counting on say Max Struess in game six against the Sixers uh they've been counting on well the depot or hero or somebody else to step up and there hasn't been anybody who can consistently do it and I clearly Boston's defense is significantly better than either Atlanta's or Philadelphia's and so now you're looking at whether or not they can challenge Jimmy because they have the kind of versatile wing defenders and Tatum and Brown that can make things more difficult and challenging for Jimmy Butler and his ability to get to the rim to be able to get that mid-range shot going uh you know I can't count on his three-point shooting as accurate as he was against the Sixers I don't think that's a realistic thing to count on and if he can't get to the line and he can't get to the rim and he can't do what Jimmy does so much better than everybody else on that heat roster then who's going to step up and lead the charge I don't know that Miami has that player we saw Tyler kind of brought down to earth over the last couple of series. Like he has not been the sixth man of the year that we saw during the course of the regular season. So that's a big question uh, in terms of who Miami finds that can keep up the scoring pace alongside Jimmy Butler. Yeah. And I wonder how much Lowry's absence is going to hurt that as well. For sure. Right. Like you need somebody that can just manipulate the defense and find holes and gaps in it. Um, Cause I think the big, you know, 
Hero has struggled this season versus the Celtics. And I don't think it's a mystery as to why. Like, I like Hero whenever he's able to come off of screens versus drop coverage or be able to, you know, navigate through a double team. Like, those types of opportunities where he can leverage it. If it's a switching defense, especially one with as many good defenders as Boston, I think there's a little bit of trouble. Now, I think there's probably some room there for him to try isolating versus the bigs. They'll have to back off like a little bit just to protect at the rim because Tyler is a good finisher. Um, and I wonder if that's going to open up a, a little bit of the mid-range stuff. The question will be if the Celtics allow that, if they're like, no, one, we're not going to allow you to switch. And if we do get switched, we're going to send help. I think that's going to be like a big determining factor. Like to me, Hero is going to have to play well in this series if, if Miami is yes. going to win. Um, I do think the Heat offense is being a little underrated uh there's kind of this idea that he is all defense and that they just can't my read on them and correct me if if i'm wrong on this is that miami's offensive floor is very low they have nights where it just looks like they can't score at all but when you look at like their average or especially when you look at their better performances and you look at the fact that in the entire playoffs despite playing the brooklyn nets four times the brooklyn net or the boston celtics have two games with a 120 offensive rating or better. Just two. The Miami Heat have three. They have more. They have more more in the in the 110s. And you're gonna say, like, well, they played the, the Miami Milwaukee Bucks so many times, and that's a great defense. It absolutely is. Like that gap is significant. Like I didn't trust the Sixers defense. That's why I had the Heat in that series and felt really comfortable about it, even before Joel and B it was revealed that he was hurt. But for me, I do kind of look at it and I wonder if people are kind of just the assumption that most people seem to be making is like the Celtics are going to completely shut down the heat and they're not going to be able to score at all. And as long as Boston can score, they'll win. And I do think that that underrates the shooting that Miami brings to the table, how well Butler has played and the possibility for Victor Oladipo, Tyler hero, Kyle Lowry, when he returns any of those guys to be able to give them a spark in terms of off the dribble play. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely well said. It's like you're kind of the, the heat identity when they're playing to their best is constant motion, swinging the ball around, not quite to the same level as the Warriors, who we'll talk about in the next segment. But again, just that constant drive and penetration, kicking it out to their shooters, the best shooting team in the NBA. Somehow that gets overlooked. Everybody kind of want to hangs their hat on the, you know, oh, the, the half court offense struggles. All you see is Jimmy Butler getting to the rim and getting to the line. You know what? They are also pretty good. I mean, this is without Duncan Robinson who I think will have more opportunities against Boston. Then we start to see him play a little bit in games five and six against the Sixers. I wonder whether or not he gets more chances. I think that he will against the Celtics just because you're going to be looking for that spark. We saw Max Drew step up in game seven. So they've got that kind of scoring punch. They do have enough shooting there and bam can be a very good offensive player when he's feeling aggressive. And I think that is certainly going to be the case because he's not going to be expending as much energy on the defensive end as he was against the Sixers when he was in such a constant state of denial on Joel Embiid, preventing him from getting easy looks and dealing with that 290-pound behemoth. Uh, and, and it was just that won't be the case. He won't be concentrating on Al Horford to the same extent as he did uh, Embiid. So I think it's going to be a better series for Bam overall. Another thing I think people are kind of overlooking here, and not to go too far on the heat uh, here mm. in this podcast, but I do kind of feel like they're being underwritten. I feel like if you want like coverage of Boston, you're not going to find any sort of shortage on it, but it does <laughs> kind of seem like the Miami Heat are just kind of the creative player of this entire NBA playoffs, which, you know, the one seed in the East probably deserves a little bit more. Uh, Synergy has the Celtics logged at six possessions versus zone in the mm. entire postseason. Uh, Second Spectrum has them at five. Now, these things are kind of hard to log sometimes, but basically that matches the eye test. Like the Bucks didn't really try zone versus them. Right. 
the Nets, I don't think, really tried any defense. If you ask me how to identify what type of scheme the Nets ran, I would just say bad. Um, so the Heat being the number one team that uses zone in the entire playoffs, is that something that you think can be effective versus Boston, or is the three-point shooting a little bit of a concern there? Like their ability to just bust it by shooting, I think, is a worry, but Boston relies so much on rhythm threes. I kind of wonder if zone is going to be something that Spolstra can use in this series. Oh, I think it absolutely is. Emo Odoka was asked about it following today's practice. Uh, I think he's aware of it. He seemed pretty confident that it wasn't going to be that much of a factor. I'm not entirely sure why either that he's just selling it to the media and things of that sort, but I think Miami is certainly going to feel comfortable incorporating. Like similarly, Eric Spolster does a good job of shooting it down. It's not about scheme. It's about intent and purpose when it comes to the defensive end. Uh, at the same time, when he throws his zone out there, usually it works. It throws everybody off, kind of makes them uncomfortable, and I think that's a big part of it. I like your point about the rhythm threes because we certainly saw that against the Sixers. I mean, you got a guy like Marcus Smart. You kind of want him to shoot and miss early on because you know he might not be a factor. He might shoot you out of the game just as much as he's willing and able to shoot you into it. Certainly, that I think that's the case with Tatum. Uh, we haven't seen that much because he's been on such a tear during the playoffs, but I think Miami's kind of banking on being able to throw zone out there just enough where they can challenge what Boston does, force a few turnovers perhaps, get things going in the right direction, and Miami's so good in their transition offense too. I think that they'll be able to, to capitalize on some mistakes when they use that zone. So I, the regular season series is obviously always going to be ma- be messy. It just it just oh. is. It's just always going to be very messy whenever you're trying to do these analyses. And what you're really looking for is matchups. I don't actually necessarily care about the overall results as much as I care about the matchups. And I did find this stat to be a little bit, I think, alarming um, a little bit for the Miami Heat. And it's that Robert Williams had really good numbers in the games that he played versus the Celtics. He's you know, removed from a minute restriction. Now, Marcus Smart has a little bit of an injury. Foot sprain, I think, is what he's dealing with, and he's questionable for game one. Um, How does that Robert Williams-Bam Adebayo matchup feel to you? I think Bam could take advantage of it. I know Williams is a very good defender. I think Bam... I think he doesn't have to worry about defending Williams, certainly. I think he also has to just... I think he's just... With Bam, it's so difficult to predict whether or not he's going to be the best version of him. And and right. we've seen this on and off, even this season. I think he's much better than he was in past years, but the aggressive version of Bam, and at least that's an oversimplified way that Heat fans can refer to him. It just seems like he's not willing sometimes to pass up those shots. Williams, the size issue, I think has always been something for Bam. I actually, I mean, not to diminish what Williams does, had the Bucks advanced, Bam has struggled more against Brooke Lopez, in my opinion, than he has against Robert Williams. So I, I think he can handle that matchup. And again, defensively, I don't think it's going to take him out of it. I, I, I wonder, I think this is a series where, uh, you know, we're not sure exactly what version of Williams we're getting. He might not be able to play as consistently as he did during the regular season. And and if that's the case, when does Udoka throw him out there to provide that same kind of spark? Because I think that'll be an interesting chess match in between these two coaches is that you have this kind of ace in the hole that you can you can throw out there at times to make things more difficult for Bam to challenge Miami's secondary unit there because you've got Dwayne Dedman playing as your backup center like he can't handle Williams I don't think he can contend with Grant Williams certainly uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting overall I'd say that Bam could probably handle the matchup fairly well I, I think he's gonna be keyed up to to be able to limit what Williams can do but. It's difficult to predict 100% because we're not sure exactly how effective Williams will be once he returns. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the, what are you getting from Bam question? I think is something that he fans <laughs> feel a little scarred by after last year's performance. Uh, I'll tell you, like, I've never been higher on Bam Adebayo than I am right now. And yeah, I, I do think if the heat win the series, uh, that we're going to look back and say that while I think it's even possible that Jason Tatum were like, that was the best player in the series as good as mm -hmm. like, I wrote a column that said Jimmy Butler has been the second best player in the playoffs. And I believe that I like the players be uh, remaining, even with Luca, Jimmy Butler has had the best playoff run. Like he has played amazing game to game to game. Um, however, I can see a scenario where Tatum actually has the best production and like yeah. he was the best player in the series, but we look back and go, you know, who really won that series was Bam Adebayo that he was the one that really kind of turned it. Like that's obviously, I think again, concerning because of the consistency issue. Uh, but I think that I think the heat are live in the series. I don't, if you ask me to, to make a prediction, I'm saying Celtics in seven, but the idea that, I, that there is kind of this idea that, well, Boston got past Milwaukee and this shouldn't be any problem for them. I, I, I think people are about to get educated that the Miami heat are a pretty tough out. I think the Celtics win, but boy, do I think this one's going to be close. Should be a really entertaining series. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, if you want to hear David's prediction, I'm sure you can catch it on Locked on Heat. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back, and we'll talk about Warriors-Mavericks, which is equally going to be fascinating in the Western Conference Finals. We'll do that when we come back. But first, I want to talk about price picks. Are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you got to try the award-winning app, Price Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. We love it, and we know that you're going to, too. You pick two to five players and over-under on their projections, and you can win up to ten times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. I'm actually going to be taking Bam out of bio over on points. I actually think that he's going to be able to get some mid-range shots going in this game one, especially at home versus a tired Celtics team. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. They offer any prop you can think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals. And they've got mixed sport entries. You can mix in college football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. And for a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. They get $50 for free. That's right. You get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. But you have to use code NBA. That's right. An exclusive offer just for our Locked On fans. Use code NBA and get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. We're also brought to you today by Built Bar. Built Bar is amazing. I, David, I'm on a, a real health kick. I'm turning 40 at the end of the month, so I'm like hmm. buckled down, right? I'm on the treadmill five times a week. I'm doing all sorts of weight exercises. And when I get done, I need that protein hit, and that's why I turn to Built Bar, which has awesome flavors to go with all of that protein. I got a protein bar. It's a protein-infused marshmallow. Incredible stuff. What can't yeah. science do? Protein-infused marshmallow that tastes like birthday cake. It's incredible. Covered in 100% white chocolate, only 150 calories with 16 grams of protein. That's what I need after I get done working out. I'm making sure to hit those birthday cake Built Bar puffs. It's got, again, just 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, and only 9 grams of sugar. It's an amazing option if you're looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. All the Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. We'll be right back on Locked on NBA.
Thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Locked On NBA Big Board. Host, host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Lee Thulin to give fans an in-depth look in the NBA draft, mock draft, player rankings, and, of course, the big boards. It's free, and it's available wherever you get podcasts. All right, back here at Locked On NBA. Other series is kicking off. Mm. This one on Wednesday, David, is the Golden State Warriors with all that championship experience taking on the upstart Dallas Mavericks who knocked off. Um, that's not accurate to say. Knocked off and then dragged through the mud and then threw into a hole and then poured cement on top of the <laughs> hole. And then I'm pretty sure took a whiz on top of all of that on Sunday, the Phoenix <laughs> Suns. Um, absolutely. Just the, the best way, in, if you follow, if you're listening to the show, you probably know what offensive rating is, points per 100 possessions. In the first half of that game, David, the Suns had a 58.7 offensive rating. That's not good, right? Not great, Bob. Not ideal for anybody. So now the Mavericks riding high, Luka taking on, and they're taking on this Warriors team. And this Warriors team, I think, is is fascinating. I'll give you my take, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. My feeling on the Warriors right now is essentially they're of two worlds. There are games where they look like they're old. They've slipped. The defense isn't quite as good. They don't put up as many threes as they used to. They don't splash all the time. Sometimes Clay Thompson looks like a guy that's had an Achilles and an ACL tear. Sometimes Draymond Green looks like a guy that's been playing for quite a while. And then other times they look absolutely like one of the most ferocious teams in the league. And they look like a team that should win the NBA title. And that inconsistency, I think has spurred of like this real divergence on this series where I think the Mavericks have kind of become a trendy pick to pull off the upset. I think that they're very much like because of Luca and he seems like it's easy to say Luca right now is the best player in the series. It's crazy yep. when you got Steph Curry, the all time three point leader, one of the, <laughs> the best offensive players in history, but you have to kind of look at Luca and say he's better. Um, I'll give you my thoughts on who I think wins the series in a minute, but I'm curious to get, what do you think is like the biggest factor they'll wind up deciding the Western Conference Finals. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned these two worlds theory here, but isn't this who they've been for a long time? Like everybody kind of dismissed it or chalked it all up to them being bored because the talent was so overwhelming and they were changing the league and they were doing things that nobody could predict. And so they had all this talent. And yes, they would go through these spots where they they weren't quite as effective. They were just kind of disinterested, even with an in-game basis, right? Like it's like they could take three quarters off and then just crush you for eight minutes. And next thing you know, they're up 20 and now maybe they're not quite as good but they still have that capacity where they could just dominate a team uh you know we're kind of talking about Luka Doncic and rightfully so because he's freaking phenomenal but like Dallas's defense is really good and they do things so precisely which you know I hate giving Jason Kidd the kind of credit that he's (laughs) perhaps deserved of for for the job he's done in Dallas but you know they're really really effective and I just wonder whether or not this kind of lazy-ish sort of attitude by Golden State is going to just wind up biting them in the ass a little bit because, you know, Dallas will just creep up on you. And when they've got a player as ignitable as Doncic, that kind of swings in their favor. So I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting matchup between this much more veteran-laden team, a much more proven team in Golden State, but a Dallas team that just doesn't really seem to care and does things really, really, really effectively. Like, they're just a really good team. Like, I would never have guessed that they would mop the floor with Phoenix as effectively as they did in game seven. Yet here we are talking about Dallas Mavericks series. So it's, it's tough to kind of see which team will advance. I don't know. It's, it's, there's both teams have pros and cons. And you could say that about all four teams left, right? Like, I mean, 
Boston's defense is really good. Miami's defense is really good. All these teams, really good, but also really flawed in many ways. And you wonder whether or not this is going to be a, you know, there's no powerhouse the way they have been in years past. One thing I think is interesting, in the Suns' three wins in that series, they had a 127 offensive rating. One twenty hundred offensive rating. It's crazy. Like, that really was the differential in that series. As much as we talk about Doncic and the shooters and Spencer Dinwiddie and Maxi Kleba and all this, Jalen Brunson, yep. the Mavs offense is, is pretty much just like, it's pretty good. That's like kind of how it, it grades out. And when they win, it's because they absolutely just like destroy teams defensively. I will be honest. Um, they're going to have to do it one more time for me. Probably two more times. I can't buy in. I'm sorry. I watched that Sun series and I I went possession by possession for it for Phoenix in games three, four, and six. And seven, I think, is just like a, Maybe we just ignore that one. Um, <laughs> a lot of, lot of stuff going on in, in that game seven. I wasn't able to necessarily identify what the Mavericks did. A lot of it, you just watched it. And I'll say this. People like Josh Bowe that covers the Mavericks over at MavsMoneyBall.com have actually commented like they, the Suns just threw the Mavericks the ball. Like just threw the ball at them consistently. And I do think a lot of, it, of that series, I think the Utah series was a team that was ready to get blown up. Yeah. I think the Sun series was a team that they got overconfident. And then once they hit some adversity really fell apart. I have a lot of faith in this golden state team. Yes, it's absolutely true. They melted in the three, one series, but you also learn from that. And one of the things I think has been interesting to kind of watch from them. And this is very much a narrative thing and not an X's and O's thing. The warriors responded a little bit with the trash talk from Memphis, but the whole way, like Draymond was so complimentary of Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets and was like, that's a really good team. And that guy's awesome. Right. And then versus Memphis, there wasn't like, they were basically going back at them because Memphis talks so much, which is that's Memphis's identity. They're young and brash and that's how they get by. Golden state seems very much like the, the wizened one now where they used to be that team that would run their mouth at everybody and they've hit some adversity. And I just tend to like those teams a little bit more from a tactical approach I just wind up being like, look, I think Clay Thompson can have enough good games. I think Jordan Poole can have enough good games. Jordan Poole and Steph Curry are going to get hunted. They are. I'm going to be really curious to see what the Warriors do. This stat surprised me, David. The Mavericks have run the most switch of any team in the playoffs. More really? than Golden State, more than Miami, more than Boston. The Dallas Mavericks have switched on pick and roll possessions more than any other team. The Warriors in terms of total possessions or like percentage of possessions, per, per, uh, possessions per a hundred. Sorry, switches per a hundred possessions. So if like oh. you take all of the possessions, their rate is higher okay. than any other team, which is right. really surprising to me. Okay, very, very. A lot of that, like actually, the Heat played a lot of drop which is kind of surprising. I think a lot of that had to do with the, the Sixers and, and their yeah. shot creation and how they corralled Trey Young. Um, those teams obviously switch a lot too, but it's just that Dallas has the most. And it's going to be interesting to see this Warriors team that their big edge is always switch everything. We play five out and they're running against a Dallas team that's basically like, that's what we do. One of the big advantages for Dallas was that no matter what DeAndre Ayton did, the Mavericks couldn't get played out of their small ball lineup because they don't have an alternative. Boban's not in the rotation. They got Dwight Powell and they got Maxi Kleba. They will not go big. They just won't. They will continue to play 
absolutely small stretch five with Powell as, as basically a rim runner. So I'll be curious to see like what role does Kevon Looney play in this series? How yeah. does he play? You know, can they play drop versus Luca? Because look, the Suns did it in games one and two and let Luca go for 40, but they won the game handily. So those kind of tactical things I think are very interesting as we kind of diagnose the series. Yeah, good point. And, and given Kerr's experience there, I mean, sure, kid's been in these situations, but given Kerr and his understanding of how to make these kind of in-game adjustments, you kind of like the edge there for Golden State a little bit. Uh, it's just, in, in, in this heavy switch mode of Dallas's, that kind of, I mean, that favors, well, does it really? I'm, I'm wondering, like, out loud here, like, does it favor Golden State's three-point shooting? their ability to space the floor. They don't really have anybody to attack the rim, but maybe a guy like Jordan Poole in particular could probably take over stretches of the game here and there where he can create more offense for himself. And then if he forces Dallas's defense to collapse a bit, maybe he can spray it out to those wide-open three-point shooters. And given that, that could create the edge. Like This is a big series for Poole to kind of prove yeah. that he is the kind of complementary player that he's been throughout the regular season because I think that could really change things in Golden State's favor. Yeah, I think the other thing that's important to, to, to kind of keep in mind here, I actually think that they're going to be able to attack the rim off of cuts because I think that Dallas, they're if you passing, watch yeah. these possessions with Phoenix, it's really startling. The The Mavs players are all spread out to the perimeter and the Suns just did not have anybody that was good enough at cutting um, and the guards were facing such ball pressure, they weren't able to really make him pay. If Draymond can hurt them in that regard, I think that's going to be a big factor in the series. I think Draymond's going to have to have a great passing series. Turnover is always a big deal with Golden State. You know, the Mavs turn the ball over on the, the turn the, the Suns over constantly. But again, I don't know how to parse that between great Dallas defense and the Suns falling into a pile of their own vomit. So we'll see how it works out, but uh, it should be a really great series. And we'll have you covered here on Locked on NBA. Um, we'll why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what that means for the Suns and their disappointing end of the season as well. The Bucks come up without Chris Middleton. We'll do that when we come back on Locked on NBA. But first, I want to tell you about Bet Online. You know, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Money under on the Cincinnati Bengals win total nine and a half because teams that lose the Super Bowl. They always have a rough year. Bet Online is your continued source for all the sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. I bet the Celtics live minus six and a half when they were up in that first half versus the Bucks, and that one came out through for me. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. We'll be right back on Lock On NBA. Segment here on Locked On NBA. Thanks for making us part of your day and your first listen each and every day. Make sure to be, be tuned here all throughout the week for all of our great hosts as they give you the, the lowdown. Tomorrow, you got Jake Madison and, ooh, that's right, David's good friend, John Corrales, uh, will be on. <laughs> so if this one's been too heat, heat positive, you'll get the reaction from John Corrales tomorrow from game one of the Eastern Conference Finals from Locked On. Celtics. Uh, David, so I want to talk a little bit about the, about the outcomes from those game sevens yesterday. Not much league news. There was 
there's some burbling about the sons or the, I'm sorry, not the sons, but the uh, Kings and what's going on with them. But quite honestly, you and I have talked about Kings enough that I, I want to give them a break. We'll just give the Kings a little bit of a break on the show. Uh, but sons had their season ending availability much sooner than we obviously thought they were going to. And yeah. the Andre Aiden situation, I think is at the forefront of everything with Phoenix where Aiden plays 17 minutes in that game. There is, a lot of controversy over what's gone on with him. Some speculation mm-hmm. of some disagreement between um, Monty Williams and Aiden over his role in that second half. Yep. A lot of, of ugliness there after the game when asked about it, Monty Williams basically said it's internal asked about the extension today. Uh, Williams would not say like, we'd love to have him back. We need to have him back. He's pivotal to me. The only way I can read this from not giving him the extension all the way through this season adding the bigs that they did, how the playoffs went down. My read is that I think we've seen Deion, the last days of DeAndre Aiden in a Phoenix Suns uniform. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Uh, we're already starting to see fake trades circling around there for Miles Turner, et cetera. Like, it, that's a possibility. I, I just I think all the smoke is leading towards a raging fire and uh, that Phoenix roster there. And if they can't find a way to make him happy and if they can't find a way to maximize what he does and they don't want to pay him the kind of money that he thinks he deserves, well, that kind of clearly points to his last days in Phoenix there. And it's you wonder how they'll be able to bounce back from that. Again, a lot of that depends on what they were able to acquire in exchange for Aiden, but things kind of just soured there. And maybe this is just a matter of like wins masking a lot of these things. Like if they won, have they been able to advance? Have they been able to kind of build off last year's success? You can, you know, that kind of covers up some of the glaring ugliness on that roster there or kind of the internal strife and things of that sort. But yesterday's brutal loss kind of exposed that a little bit in a way that I don't think a lot of people saw or expected. Maybe, Maybe Locked On Suns would have more clarity on that because I don't really think that that was a version of the Suns team that I'd seen all year where, where they were capable of that kind of internal feeding on themselves kind of thing. Like that, that was just – they were exposed in a way that I'd expect them to be. And and it's been – it kind of gears up towards an ugly offseason for them. The sense that I got from Suns fans was they did feel like there needs to be changes, that you just can't run it back after something like that. It's crazy because it's like you win all these games and you have all the success and you get past the Pelicans who, okay, like they were frisky, but they handled them, right? And then you run into this and you lose a game seven at home by that margin. It does feel like such a catastrophic loss that there has to be a reaction. Um, I will say one of the interesting comments I I heard yesterday was if you – you saw what happened when Chris Paul was removed, that this team looked a lot more like the one from the bubble which I thought was like a really interesting commentary of just like, because the sun's rise really was a little bit unprecedented. They go from a sub 500 team that obviously almost made the play in the, the play in tournament in the bubble coming up just short. And then they turn around the next season and they become this juggernaut and they were just this monster team. And they make the finals, a lot of injuries along the way, but look, the Celtics played the bucks without Chris Middleton. Nobody said anything about that. So we get here now and you know, the Suns are, once again, the best team in the league. They get better year over year. And then now we're here. And so it's a fascinating, like, two years ago where we thought the Suns were to where we are now. Is like, There's a lot to kind of, I think, parse through there. You know, Chris Paul said he's not going anywhere. He expects to be back. Obviously, with Chris, I think there's always kind of question marks about when exactly uh, he's worn on guys. I just have to be honest. As a big Chris Paul fan, he wears on guys. It's just That's yeah. part of the story. Um, the Aiden thing I think is a significant loss for them. I think if they, if they think they can get by without him, I think it could be really bad. Uh, I have a, I have a trade idea though for you, a sign and trade. <laughs> All right. Let's hear that. I, I got one. I got one for you. This is fresh out the box. Uh, haven't heard anything on this. 
Hornets dump Gordon Hayward in any sort of salary dump deal, and then they sign. They do, they commit to a sign and trade for DeAndre Aiden, and you pair Lamelo Ball with DeAndre Aiden. Well, that's uh, that Hornets team would be a lot of fun. I don't know that they'd win a lot of games, but I think they'd be a lot more. They'd be a lot more interesting. I mean, kind of the a maximized version of the team they were this year. I don't. Does Hayward help or hinder? I mean, the Suns team would be significantly worse without Aiden, especially given that you're not sure you can count on Hayward. I mean, I, it, I don't know. I like the idea, and yet it's it kind of feels like one of those trades where neither team takes a significant leap as a result. I guess in Charlotte's favor. What's, what's more Charlotte Hornets than that? <laughs> uh, right. Elsewhere, the Milwaukee Bucks fall in game seven to the Boston Celtics. Grant Williams hits like 1,800 threes, and they get past uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Got to be honest with you. Like, look, I'm not surprised that the Celtics won game seven. Home teams usually game, win game seven. Right. Again, Suns, really sad. Uh, but home teams usually win game seven. So Boston got the shooting performances that they need. The Bucks were clearly out of gas. Nobody else stepped up. Uh, I've been kinder to Mike Budenholzer. I've been more defensive of him. I think overall, Bud is a net positive. This was maybe, I think to me, this is the worst of, of even through the Toronto series and through the Miami hmm. series. This is the one game that I point to and go, I think Bud made the most mistakes here. Um, not going to switch all earlier until it was already too late to contain the three-point shooting. I understand having a game plan and daring guys in the game seven. But when they're at home, those kind of swing shots with where your offense is, I think that that's just crushing. Now, I personally think that if Chris Middleton is healthy in the series, that oh, this yeah. thing is over in six. Like, Milwaukee pushed them to seven without Chris. And I think that once you add Chris in, it's chaos theory. Anything could happen. Maybe Middleton has a terrible series. Like, I don't naturally just go, oh, you just add on the 20 points or whatever. But I do think that Milwaukee has to – there's a lot of questions today. Like, the big thing going today is, like, their cap is a mess and all these types of things. They're still going to have Giannis. They're still going to have Drew. And they're going to have Chris Middleton next year who won't have played in the Olympics and then all the way through. Um, I think the Milwaukee Bucks will still be a serious contender in the Eastern Conference next season, regardless yep. of what happens with Bobby, Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton or whoever else. They got the pieces I think that they need to contend in the East. Yeah, I have to agree 100%. I mean, they, they, they've got that top-tier talent. I think I agree with you 100%. If, if Middleton had been out there, it would be a very, very different series, which is kind of why, not to bring it back to the Celtics, I kind of think that you know, every kind of, everybody's slightly overstating how good and how tough this challenge has been for Boston, why they're better prepared for the Heat. But that's a whole other story. Uh, tune in for that crossover that we talked about earlier. As far as Milwaukee's concerned, I'm not too worried about their future. Like That's a, an issue that at one point far down the road will be much more complicated than it is right now. Right? Or next season, I think they'll be, as you said, a contender. You have those three players, you've got enough. And the problem was they didn't have Middleton. I mean, had he been able to bounce back there, even if he had been a lesser version of the all-star level player that we've seen in the past, that's, I mean, it's kind of the the, the summation of Middleton's career, right? Very overlooked. A brief period there where he was kind of over, like I think a lot of people were kind of overinflating how important he was or how good he was. And then he's kind of back to being uh, kind of overlooked to some degree. A great defender, great scorer in bunches there. A guy who certainly shifts things in Milwaukee's favor, they're going to be just fine. I, I think the coaching is fine. The the front office, eh, there's some issues there, but I think they can work it out. Uh, as far as their coaching, though, I mean, they've got some, they might have some holes to plug as far as their assistant coaching if they lose Darvin Ham. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is that a significant blow for, for what Milwaukee's done? I mean, how, how big of an issue do you think that might be for the Bucks? 
I think it'd be huge. I think Darwin was kind of an emotional heartbeat on the bench, as far as I know. And I think that that would be a pretty huge loss. He's well respected in every NBA circle. He's a lifer. He's been around a lot of successful teams. So I think yeah, uh, I think Darwin would be a would be a big loss for them. Um, but look, assistance could be a lot of assistant changes that they're already season, and they'll go underreported because those that oftentimes winds up being like a really big factor. Uh, and how these things develop. That's going to wrap it up for Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us for a Tuesday. Enjoy the conference finals. Jake and John Corrales will be back for the Wednesday episode. For David Ramil, you can follow him on Twitter at DRamil13. Make sure to check out that crossover pod for coverage of the Eastern Conference Finals at Locked On Heats. Until next time, we'll see you guys again on Locked On NBA.